Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Back in those days, you could discredit somebody by saying that they were uh, on coke. You know, it was, uh, you know, it was an era where there were a lot of drugs. And, uh, I, you know, I had dabbled in all that stuff, but not really for very long, just very minorly. Because I realized, you know, being in rock radio, you realize cocaine's not a good thing. Uh, it wrecks so many bands and so many careers. So I backed off that very quickly. Uh, but, uh, at that point, my boss put the word out and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a small network of people that hang out. And if they decide that, uh, you know, that they're going to talk about you behind your back and put stuff out there, um, that's what happened. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Glad to have you back for those people showing up for the first time. Thank you so much for checking us out. And for those who've been here more than a plethora of times, thank you, thank you, thank you for your support, for subscribing, for passing it on, and for always having a kind word. All your emails, all your correspondence, just truly amazing. I will always be grateful. Thank you. And if you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Instagram or Twitter, and I'll be sure to get back to you. And I'm really, really excited about the show today with Fraser Smith, truly one of the great personalities of our business. And without further ado, I will give him the proper introduction. Fraser Smith is an American radio personality, actor, and stand-up comedian who was born in Detroit, Michigan, where he started his career in the entertainment business in radio. He soon moved to Los Angeles, California, and started working right away at the world-famous K-Rock FM from 76 through 79, Powerhouse KLOS from 79 through 84, KMET 84 through 86, KLSX from 86 through 97, back at KLOS in 1997, and K Earth in 2002. 
And presently, he's had a long, long run of his hugely popular Sunday night, crazy, crazy, extraordinary show, The Fraser Smith Show on KLOS that you just can't believe. And as I like to say, urgent care for radio. He's been featured in many roles in film and television and was one of the announcers on the TBS music video show Night Tracks for several years. He also hosted the late-night television show Rock in America. Of his many film roles, the one that most people remember him for is The Fisher King with Robin Williams. The debut of his manic show on K-Rock FM, however, when he started, coincided with that station's rise playing what was then new wave music. That combined with his extended improvisational comedy made him an instant success. And throughout this period and beyond, he became the number one radio personality in Los Angeles, along with the number one radio show. At KLOS, as a stand-up comic, he always kills. And he's one of the few comedians to seamlessly work at all three L.A. comedy clubs, the Laugh Factory, the Improv, and the Comedy Store. Most importantly, his relationships with the community and comedy runs hugely deep. There isn't anyone in this business that doesn't know Frazier and doesn't have a great story to tell about him. Truly one of the greatest and nicest people in the world. He's worked with so many comics you can't even mention them, including Dave Chappelle, George Lopez, Tim Allen, Ken Jeong, and the late Rodney Dangerfield. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome one of the nicest human beings in show business, Frazier Smith. Where? Where is he? <laughs> I heard he was here, man. Can I meet him? You are here. Oh, Barry Katz, how are you? I'm good. It's always great to hear your voice. I feel like I'm on radio. Well, you are. Kind of. Well, it's a podcast. And you have the number three podcast in the world. I want to congratulate you on that. I have so many things to ask you, but I think the first thing I want to ask you is you've been in this a long time like me. Did you ever foresee the way radio was going to change and the way podcasting was going to grow so much? You know, I don't think any of us saw any of that, really, uh, in the radio world. We were kind of uh, surprised by it. You know, and at first, I think my reaction was like a lot of radio people. We were sort of like, well, what is that? You know, who who needs podcasting? We're the real deal. But now that is really changing. Podcasting is taking over and podcasting is huge. Is there evidence to suggest that podcasts, let's say like Joe Rogan's, get more audience than a nationally syndicated radio show that's supposedly doing really well oh i definitely think so in fact uh i think really joe's kind of got the new tonight show in terms of uh having a vehicle that can launch people and uh and and break their careers i think if you go on the joe rogan podcast now that's like when you used to go on the uh tonight show with johnny carson it has that same kind of power and you never saw something like this coming you know i really didn't i uh you, you know, and on so much of this stuff, we didn't have to uh, deal with back in the day. You know, it really took a, a lot of pieces out of 
pie out of the pie in terms of your uh, radio listeners because you know all of a sudden there's Spotify and there's uh, Pandora and uh, and uh, Sirius XM and and you know you've got uh, podcasting now which is getting bigger and bigger so everything takes a little chunk out of the radio pie in terms of your show here at KLOS you have a great show every Sunday from 11 to 3 a.m. We have a special guest every week on that show, too. Who would that be? That would be uh, you, the great Barry Katz. He's amazing on my show. you got to listen to him. Ever since I started coming to Los Angeles, there's one consistent thing, and that's always that your kindness and your generosity, almost like unconditional love towards not just me, but it appears that you have this way with it doesn't matter if somebody's an open micer who's took a bus here from Saskatchewan or if it's me or if it's Tim Allen, whatever it is, you treat everybody like gold. And I never heard you say a discouraging word to any artist. And it's a very competitive field. And there's a lot of ups and downs. And I just want to understand, or for our audience to understand, how you maintain that level of kindness and generosity in a world where every night you're out in the club and you witness the exact opposite of that from at least one person. Well, you know, at home, of course, I'm bad-mouthing everyone. That's how I do it. No, uh, you know, which is probably true. I, uh, you know, I just like people, Barry. And I think I got uh, what you're talking about from my dad. My dad was very, he should have been a politician. Uh, you know, he was very diplomatic and, and gracious. And I always felt like uh, everybody liked him, you know. And I think the reason was because he didn't step on people's tails. He was, you know, good to everybody. And always had something good and positive to say, you know, to somebody. Uplifting. So I think, I, you know, I took that from my dad a little bit. Tell our audience the last time that you got caught saying something that was not flattering. And you went home that night and you actually sat in the fetal position and said, can't believe I did that. That's yeah. not like me. That was kind of last night. Yeah, I yelled at everybody uh, at the uh, at my show at the Ice House. You know, it was a um, uh, we had a we had a Fraser Smith show. Uh, you know, all the guys that are on the Fraser Smith show, all, they're almost all stand-ups. And so we had a little show at the Ice House in the uh, stage two, where everybody got to go up and do you know some time. It was kind of our little you know from the show show and uh i thought it went quite well actually but then at the end they put um i was the headliner barry i crushed if i do say so i'm just kidding but i afterwards they put it someone up after me which you don't do you don't put somebody up after the headliner who put somebody up after you? well i think it was my producer mel i'm gonna go ahead and blame mel but it was it was somebody uh anyway whoever it was i got really mad and started yelling at everybody but then you know, I rarely do that. I rarely do that. What'd you say? I said, what are you putting up someone after the headliner? I go, you don't put anybody up after the headliner on any show. And what did they say? Oh, sorry, man. Sorry, dude. We didn't realize it. You know, all this stuff. Backpedaling. They were backpedaling. So I let them have it. 
but I rarely, rarely do that. Did you know the person who went on after you? Yeah. I wasn't mad at him. I was mad at whoever did that. What if he bombed after you? I don't know. I don't. You know, the bottom line is that you just don't do that formatically. I can't believe I caught you the day after you did something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. yeah how about that? I yelled at everybody. <laughs> it felt good because I never, ever do that. When's the last time you fired somebody? And what were the circumstances? Ah, uh, gosh, that was probably uh, a couple radio stations back. Um, although I did fire, did I fire my agent? I don't know if I did. I can't remember. I never see him, so <laughs> I think he's fired. <laughs> yeah. Back in the day, did you have agents that just specialized in radio deals for you? No, you know, uh, uh, that was uh, an odd thing because I... Uh, you know, I got really big at one point in terms of radio. I was like a Howard Stern on the West Coast. I was pretty pretty big. So I signed with the uh, legendary Management 3 management company with, uh, you know, uh, Jerry Weintraub, Sal Bonifetta, all the biggies, right? Who was the manager there that took you under? I had a guy named Sims Hines. Sims Hines was my manager. Who was he representing at the time? Beach Boys, um, a lot of bands. They had Zeppelin. They had all these big clients. They had Sinatra. I don't think Sims was representing Sinatra, though. I think he had, like, Beach Boys and I don't know who else. And so you used them to negotiate your next deal. Well, yeah, and and that actually was not probably a good thing because they were pretty heavy-handed. You know, they were pretty... uh, they were pretty big and powerful. And, you know, when you're young like that, you think, wow, I'm with the biggest management company. This will be great. And then they were a little bit heavy handed with the radio folks. Where were you in your career? What station when you hired I them? was here at KLOS. I was back in in the day when I had my morning show. The morning show yeah. where you were number one for six years. Yeah, I was number one. And, and uh, I had a, huge ratings and um, I, I had really blown up. So they were trying to renegotiate the contract you already had, or was it? There- yeah. Well, it was coming. It was coming up, and uh, they were trying to lean on them, you know, because at that point salaries were. It's kind of like baseball, you know, where you had Willie Mays and and uh, you know Mickey Mantle and those guys making you know really small money compared to what those that level of player is making today, and that was kind of true in, in everything and in radio back then, but it was just coming into the era where some bigger salaries were coming up, so they were trying to nudge for me and get me a bigger salary, which I guess is the job of a management uh, company, but um, I think they were a little heavy-handed, and it kind of turned my boss against me. What year of the six years did this negotiation happen? That was, uh, that was probably, well, that was year six, because then... Uh, it got contentious, and that's how I got fired. So when your management company renegotiated, let's just use these examples. So you're doing it for six years. Let's just pretend you're making $100 for the year. The management <laughs> yeah. company renegotiates for your next contract. If you're making $100 that year, what did they get you for the next year? Well, they they were what they were trying to get me was, you know... Uh, Probably four times that. Really? So $400. And what do you end up getting in that example? In that example, I wound up getting fired. And so I didn't get anything. They never negotiated the... No, it just got very contentious. And and there were other issues there that that I had a boss that um, didn't particularly cotton to me. 
you know. And and How it is really not cotton to the guy who's number one for six uh, years. You know, go figure. But I'll tell you what, you know, happens in business that uh, you know. Uh, I had made friends with ABC Television because we were owned by ABC at that time. Uh, KLOS was. And I had made friends with Elton Rule, who was the president of ABC. And he was a big fan of my radio show. So I would go up to his office three times a week, hang out with Elton, cool guy, and love love me, you know. And I thought, well, I'm going to get a talk show out of this, which is what I have always wanted was a television talk show. And uh, I was probably too uh, green at that time to really take advantage of it correctly. But I did have the ears of the top guy. And that seemed to annoy my boss in radio because I think he felt like he had put a lot of promotional money behind me. And then here I was getting snapped away by the television division. So he was kind of, we were, uh, you know, uh, not on the best footing anyway before the negotiation. So when that went down, it just puts a capper on it. So you hire the biggest management company in the world to renegotiate for you, and you get fired in the middle of the renegotiation. <laughs> yep. And then the management company dropped me. They dropped me the next day after I got fired. Even though they were responsible? Yep. That's showbiz, Barry. What did they say to you on the phone? <laughs> You're, come pick up your stuff. Come pick up your stuff, which was in a little cardboard box when I got there. It's unbelievable to me that somebody could be number one for six years and get fired. Who were they going to get to replace you? And weren't there a lot of other stations that would have killed to have you? Well, you know, unfortunately, uh, a little uh, caveat that came with that was that uh, back in those days, you could discredit somebody by saying that they were uh, on coke. You know, it was, uh, you know, it was an era where there were a lot of drugs and, uh, I, you know, I had dabbled in all that stuff, but not really for very long, just very minorly, because I realized, you know, being in rock radio, you realize cocaine's not a good thing. Uh, it wrecks so many bands and so many careers. So I backed off that very quickly. Uh, but uh, at that point, my boss put the word out. And, you know, it's it's a it's a small network of people that hang out. And if they decide that, uh, you know, that they're going to talk about you behind your back and put stuff out there, um, that's what happened. So I couldn't get another job right away, uh, a full time job. I did get a part time job at KMET where I started doing uh, KMET was the arch rival of KLOS. Uh, and that took a little time, but I finally got that job. It was a Friday night party show, uh, and that went to number one. I had number one ratings there. And I had a lot of big guests on that show, and it was a hard rocking show. And I had guys like Ronnie James Dio on and Alice Cooper and all these big guests. And uh, it was a, a hot show, too. I'm still just blown away here, phrase. There wasn't any radio market in the country that wanted to Well, I to didn't want to leave L.A. That was the other thing. I didn't want to leave And you had no one representing you. Not anymore. Not after that. So you were self-represented. My agents also dropped me, and I won't mention who that is. <laughs> but uh, I had a big agency. I, I had huge representation. You know how people say, this is my part in this. This is their part in this. What was my part? 
What was your part in this? Well, my part was that uh, I was a young, uh, sort of snotty kid, and it not it not really snotty, but in the sense of would always I was a little feisty. So when they were started pulling stuff on me. I got right back in their face, which I've learned now is not a good move, not a move my dad would have made. You know, I was just too young and I didn't really uh, think about it. I was like, hey, man, what the fuck are you doing? I'm number one. You know, I I, I got like that. And uh, I think I had a right to get that way. I was getting railroaded and I didn't really see the advantage for them. I was, you know, doing very well for them. Bringing in millions of dollars. I think it was a personal thing. I think I'd gotten under his skin because I would, you know, go into his office and complain every time something like that went down. And uh, I had to learn that you just don't handle business that way. You know, I thought I was being, you know, sticking up for myself. I don't think I was trying to be a diva or a prima donna, but I was I was trying to stick up for myself. But I think in his mind, he may have thought of me as, as being diva-esque. So you were like Aaron Rodgers, and he was like Mike McCarthy. Uh, yeah, only I was the guy who got fired. <laughs> <laughs> so take me through that day. Was that the first time you'd ever professionally really gotten your legs broken? Yeah, I mean... To that extent, where you lost a big job, you know, it was a big job. And, um, you know, so when you lose that, yeah, yeah, it's got an impact. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey everybody, I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment, and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office, and 
everyone who uses it orders one and you should too just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code barry and if you act now you can get a hundred dollars off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the Air Doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the Air Doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. When it comes to your success and getting there, one of the things that always fascinates me is when things go wrong, they tend to go wrong quickly. It's like an automobile accident. The car veers into the lane, you hit the car, and you're like, what the fuck happened here? I mean, I was just driving, listening to the radio, and yeah. then I'm in an accident. But to get to where you're going, your destination, it takes a lot of driving, and it takes a lot of time on the road and a lot of concentration to get you to your destination. And sometimes, as you're driving, you wonder to yourself, am I ever going to get there? I mean, I know I'm going to get there, but when the fuck am I going to get there? As you were ascending in Los Angeles, did you have a goal when you came here to be number one? Or were you just thinking, hey, I just want to have fun and be a DJ and we'll see what happens? Well, you know, my, my game plan, which... I later found I was kind of a game plan for a lot of people was to somehow get a television show out of all this, you know? And I think that's sort of what annoyed my boss too, because he sort of, I, I kind of looked at everything as a means to an end, you know, whether it was radio or stand up comedy, you know, I never really thought, Hey, I'm going to be a stand up comic like uh, George Carlin or somebody. I always thought I want to host, I want to be like Johnny Carson. And, you know, everyone wanted to be like Johnny Carson, I later found out. But that was my goal. I thought, you know, I'll, I'll get hot on the radio and then jump. Because I remembered that Bob Hope had done that. Bob Hope came to town. He was another favorite of mine because he had all the one-liners like I do. And uh, probably the best at that. And, he, and, you know, it had said that when he got a big radio job in L.A., he spent all of his salary on writers so he could have the number one show because he knew at some point that would translate to a television show. And television was just starting, really, when he was coming up. But, you know, I thought, yeah, that's my game plan. I'll, I'll get really popular on the radio, and then maybe I can make a jump. So radio was never 
your ideal scenario. I enjoyed it. I, I really did enjoy doing it. It was a lot of fun. And I had done it since I was 18. I started when I was 18 professionally uh, back in Michigan. So I had been doing radio by the time I got to L.A. for, you know, 10, 12 years and, and professionally. So, I, you know, I kind of had my chops and um, and I had a blast and I think I was innovative and, uh, you know, kind of in a similar way to how Stern was, but I wasn't quite as wild as Stern, but I had, I was pretty wild and I had some, you know, groundbreaking stuff and I did enjoy doing that, but my goal was always to try to get it to TV. What was the first thing you did on the radio where... Even you said to yourself, I think I'm going to be in trouble here. Well, it, it involved that boss that I was talking about because he had had my, I, I used to, sometimes I'd be late for work in the morning because I'd be out doing stand-up that night and I'd have to come racing in at six in the morning, you know, had to be here at like five. So I'd come racing in to get my show started at six and the closest parking spot was my boss's. So I would park there. And then I would hopefully uh, remember to move my car before he got there. But this one day I didn't, so he had my car towed during my show. So I went out and I uh, interviewed the tow truck dr uh, driver with a, a wireless mic. And I said, who's towing my car? And this kind of So then I came back in and I said, you know, my boss had just gotten these two hip license plates. That was my slogan, two hip. And uh, he went out and got personalized plates that said two hip. Before I could get him. He thought it was so funny that he beat me to the punch there. So anyway, I said, hey, uh, if you see a, a silver Cadillac with uh, two hip plates uh, driving around, flip the guy off for me. Well, yeah, I said that to my listeners. And I had everybody in L.A. listening. I go, wherever you see this guy, flip him off. So I had everybody at every stoplight was flipping him off. Everywhere he went. Finally, he called me in. He goes, hey, call off the dogs, bro. I can't take it. Yeah. When you watched Howard Stern's movie, Private Parts, and there was that scene where he comes in the office and Giamatti goes, WNBC. I, did you have any experiences I, like that? Absolutely, I did. <laughs> That's why I love Stern's movie. I love that movie. He was so accurate. He really got it right. I mean, that was how it was. You had people doing that to you. I had that kind of stuff happening all the time. And... um and, you know, just every little step of the way, all those little stations that he worked at where they would flip formats and all of a sudden he's hop along Howie because it's a <laughs> country station and stuff. I just loved his movie because it's really the experience that I kind of went through. Where along the way did you decide stand-up comedy is for me? Well, you know, I was always a fan of stand-up comedy, and... Uh, How? Where were you from? Well, I was back in Michigan. I would, uh, like everybody back then, comedy records were the big deal. And I just, you know, uh, burned a hole in, in the Richard Pryor stuff. I played all of his stuff endlessly, and Carlin, and uh, Robert Klein, you know, Child of the 50s album. Uh, I love Albert Brooks. I would listen to those things over and over. Lenny Bruce. Alone or with your family? Yeah, just me. I just listened to, you know, my, back then they would have cocktail parties and, and you know, and uh, my parents didn't put on a, a comedy record. They'd have Jonathan Winters or somebody on a comedy record or Bob Newhart, Button Down Mind. So I, I always kind of liked stand-up comedy, but again, I never really thought I would do it to uh, really become a comic. I was hoping to 
land a hosting thing. And that's so, why I do the one-liners, you know, because it's kind of got that Carson-esque, you know, Letterman thing where you're you're just doing topical jokes uh, about stuff that's going on in the news. And I think that's my strong suit in stand-up, you know. Uh, but again, I was hoping it would translate to something uh, more on television because uh, I, I've got the interviewing chops as well because I've had to interview since I was, you know, 18 years old. I've been doing interviews. If you had to guess, how many interviews have you done in your life? Thousands. Thousands. Tell me somebody you interviewed where even you were a little bit nervous. Well, uh, Gary Busey. <laughs> I just had on my show, and I know you guys did too, and I love him. You know, we're old friends. I mean, the guy is just great, man. And he's actually a great guest, as you know, because he's yes. so fun. But, you know, he can turn on a dime. If he gets, if something sets him off, uh, watch out. Oh, and the other uh, guy I had on that was uh, scary was Tex Cobb, uh, Raising Arizona. You know, he was uh, a, a talented actor and, uh, you know, kind of a meat and potatoes boxer who fought everybody, uh, but one of the toughest guys in the world. You know, he was like a street fighter, tough guy. And I, I became friends with the guy. He was friends with a friend of mine, and, and so we became buddies. And I had him on the show, and he was a great guest because he had a million stories, just crazy stories, you know, and uh, about boxing and about all kinds of stuff. And um, But he would come on the show, and you got the feeling that if you said the wrong thing, he might pick you up and throw you. <laughs> you know, he was kind of an ordinary guy. Did you ever have an altercation in the studio where things totally got out of control well the one time one time i did have a problem was and this is my fault uh the surf punks weren't you a singer with the surf punks? well we did a couple of songs i did a couple of novelty songs with the surf punks yeah and and back in the 80s and uh they were friends of mine and they were a colorful they were just characters you know uh and they came into my morning show one day and brought bags and bags and bags of sand and filled up the studio with sand, like about four feet of sand. And then they brought in this uh, lifeguard tower that they had chopped in half, and they brought set that up. And they had these bikini girls come in and these Muscle Beach dudes, and they uh, set up and played live in the sand. You know, uh, they set their amps up. And, and Don't they understand like this was, is radio? I know. I don't know what that was, but I let Can them do it. their imagination? I let them do it. And we and they played live and it was awesome. But my boss wanted to kill me. He was so mad. He because they, they couldn't get that sand out of there for two years. It was like a, <laughs> it was a nightmare. And uh, that was one I, I I probably shouldn't have done. <laughs> you know how you're listening to radio a lot of times and you hear things happening in the studio with women and you wonder to yourself, is this really happening or is this not happening? Were there a lot of crazy times with women who'd come in the studio, just wanted to be in the studio and you'd be the recipient of, you know, no, I mean, you know, I remember having Marilyn Chambers in, uh, to the show and she was completely naked. She just walked in the studio all the sales guys were looking in the window. <laughs> you know, it was weird. Because, you know, Marilyn Chambers, a very yeah. famous porn star. And Early said, porn star. Who was the other one? Linda Lovelace. All, they all did my show. Did uh, they get the high ratings? They got high ratings. Yeah, high ratings. Uh, but, you know, it was, uh, you know, that's what Howard found out, too. At that time, you know, the, you'd, you'd, sure, that helped the ratings. 
What's it like being in a company? You're the DJ. You're the guy who's bringing the station back. You're the guy who is becoming number one. You're the guy who it seemingly feels like you're not even trying. You got people at the station doing afternoon shifts who've been doing it for 30 years, killing themselves. They've never attained the level of success you have. You're helping the station get to a certain point. Forget the program director. Are the other DJs on the station, are they nice or are they really resentful? Well, I think there's a tendency to be resentful, but um, I think that's where my, uh, dare I say so, my people skills came in handy because I tend to get along with people. And uh, I am a team player. You know, I want the team to do well. It's not just about me. It's about, you know, the station doing well. And uh, I always got along great with all the other DJs. I, you know, we, we were friends today from all my stations all the way back. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Wondery. Check out their lineup of some of the greatest podcasts in the world at Wondery.com. And Aquatru, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And finally, Boku Superfoods, the purest, most potent, and delicious certified organic, kosher, and vegan superfood blends on the planet. Boku Superfood is changing the game for thousands of people in 65 countries with their incredible formulated powders that you just add any liquid to and make the healthiest drinks or smoothies in the world. Just go to BokuSuperfood.com. That's B-O-K-U Superfood.com. Look for the three-pack trial. Enter the promo code Barry at checkout. Just pay a minimal shipping fee and get a full week's supply of Boku Superfood for free. I guarantee you'll look and feel better and understand why Boku is the number one family-owned superfood company in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. Any of those times I got fired, you know, they're just devastating moments because you feel like you're on a roll and all of a sudden you're not. And, um, you know, then you, what do you do? 
you know, you're kind of uh, everybody's looking at you funny, including your family and everybody. And um, what you kind of have to do is just suck it up and go. You know, uh, I don't think there's really any formula other than that. And just really try to uh, keep your strength and, and keep moving. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money Drop that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.